Hello and welcome to the Into the Desert podcast, where we talk to inspiring people and hear their stories of motivation, courage, drive, productivity, and how their environment has dictated their performance. Today, we're lucky enough to have a special guest on. Timothy Fair Matthews is the co-founder and managing director of First and Ten Productions in Dubai, producing hundreds of global projects for brands such as Vice, YouTube, Netflix, Will Smith, Jay Shetty, Spartan, Aston Martin, Emirates, Red Bull, and many more. With over a decade of experience in content creation, Tim is a well-versed DOP, producer, director, and video editor. He's also an ambassador for Zakuto and alpha ambassador for Sony Professional. That is a long bio. I feel like I've done a lot for you there, mate. I know. That's a great, great uh, information straight up. Thank how you. are you doing? <laughs> Good, mate. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. I'm just going to throw it straight into it. How has your year been so far? Splendid. Has it really? Yeah. I mean, um, I think from a COVID year or like two years ago, because this is 2022 now, um, everyone had, you know, challenges and had to pivot in the lockdown. So I think by this point now, a lot of people should be back on track. And I think the fruits of what we did a couple of years ago are, are, are coming. The fruit, what's it called? You're now, you're you bearing the fruits of what you did, the fruits of your labor. labor. There yeah, you so go. We're doing that. So I think it's, no, it's been really, really good. Um, and yeah, the economy is doing really well. We had, we just came away from a really busy month. We had 61 mm. days booked in November, which means obviously there's only 30 days. So that's about yeah. three, four shoots a day on average. And how many in your team now that covered that? Um, days worth of so shoots? we've got some remote, there's about 11, 12 of us in the 11. team now. And were they all in Dubai or were they as global shoots? Um, so we had a few shoots abroad. So we had uh, South Africa, uh, we had Angola, Cape Town, Nigeria, Saudi, Dubai, and I think one in the UK. Amazing. Yeah. It's a big operation. With some of those names there, you can tell it's a big operation. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you mentioned there, we were talking about you know, the COVID year. What are the challenges that you've faced this year? You know, maybe two years on from COVID now, it's still sort of in the midst. Uh, China have gone back into a lockdown uh, very recently. But what are the challenges you've faced in business this year? Um, I think what people, I mean, what I've experienced, I can't speak for everyone else, but I think one of the things that's really kind of, what challenges have presented this year compared to where we were a couple of years ago, I think everyone has shrunk, not shrunk, but probably leaned up a little mm. bit since COVID. I think they realized, reevaluated what they're doing, what kind of work they're producing, what kind of clients they're working with, how the team works. We certainly leaned a bit. And um, I think now, hopefully, a lot of businesses will be picking up that momentum again. So for me, the challenges this year really has gone down to and boiled down to trying to keep a very sterling product as you grow and to not then become fatty again and then overhire, mm. probably increase your resources because obviously you still need to be due diligent and make sure you've got a strong pipeline and get that balance correct. Because obviously for us, our kind of work is not, even though it is all year round, we are very busy in seasonal periods as opposed to the summer where we're quite quiet. And obviously every business needs to make money. So you've got to get that balance right. So for me, the challenges this year was keeping the product quality very high with little less resources and knowing when to reinvest and get those resources. Mm. And I can see, you know, from the, the work that you've done in the past that it's a very premium service. There's a lot of high quality content you do. You can see from the stuff around us, this is a, a business that does stuff very well. Um, do you think that helps you going forward? So we're now looking into 2023, recession looming uh, across much of the world. Do you think that premium product makes you more um, resilient to the change and the challenges we're going to face? Um, great question. I, I think personally, 
And I'm going to refer to what Daniel Priestley says here in Dent, which I know you're a big advocate for and the teaching. So um, if you get the value right and you can position yourself correctly in the market, you can charge anything. So I think having always considering yourself to be more on a premium phase as opposed to like a more cheap and cheerful phase, it will give you more flexibility to position yourself in the market correctly. Um, and in moments like recessions and things, the money doesn't stop circuit. The money doesn't stop. It just circulates through different channels. Um, more millionaires were made in the last two years than I think ever in history before. Dubai has had a major increase in millionaires populated mm -hmm. to this particular region. Um, and money is still, again, circulating. And certainly with the rich and famous, bear markets are good because that's where you double down and you put money in the correct places. Warren Buffett says you um, should be fearful when others are hungry, mm. are hungry when others are fearful. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of how I would see it. So really, um, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it goes over the next few years. I think because we're surviving and doing quite well now, that this is going to you know, be beneficial in a few years to come, hopefully. So I'm very positive. Good, yeah, absolutely. It's wise words. You can tell that you've been rubbing shoulders with uh, Jay Shetty. I saw him recently in Saudi. We did a okay. shoot for Miss Global speaking on stage. I didn't get a chance to properly like talk to him, but I mean, like, you know, we, we exchanged a few messages and it was great to see him. And he, he's, he's grown tremendously well. Mm. And, and, and more to the point of how, if you're just, again, going back to Den, if you're prolific and not perfect with the content and you're just visible, you can impact more. So that's good. Absolutely. And you know, you, you're incredibly busy. You've got a big team here, like you're referring to. How do you keep yourself accountable to the productive tasks you need to be doing? So obviously as a managing director of a company, you've got not only what you need to be operating sort of the day-to-day the -to, -day to do, but also the business, the strategy, the goals that we just touched on there. Yeah. What are your tips for productivity and maintaining productivity? Um, doing like a brain dump the night before and planning your tasks and doing them in two ways. Planning them if they're urgent mm -hmm. and if they're high value. So you have, a, you have urgency with tasks and then you have it high value. So like, an, like, a, like a, I can make an example, like my car could be, like it needs to be renewed this week. And if I can't renew it, then I'm fined potentially. Mm -hmm. And it enables me not to drive the vehicle. So that's an urgent task, mm -hmm. but it's low value. So, so it would be making sure that I'm able to plan and book the, book the outsourcing of that problem and dedicating my time to make sure that that is done. So it doesn't occupy my time. And just when you do, when you plan your week ahead or you plan the day before, just the night before, for example, when you prioritize, what am I going to accomplish the next day? I think that really, really helps. And it just helps you always stay on top of, okay, um, we always, our, our idea of, of being an entrepreneur, I, I think is just problem solving all the time. So you just need to be constantly juggling what's a priority, what's urgent, what should I be doing, what's a high value task versus low value task, and, and just doing that in a daily capacity. Absolutely. Well, it's, the, it's the way to do it, isn't it? You can see it's working for you. And then there you're also talking about understanding what the high value tasks are. Hmm. So, you know, you touched on there what you would do in terms of how you'd split them into high and low value. But what for you is a high value task? You know, as an MD of this big uh, company here in Dubai, what do you see as, as high value versus something you should delegate? I think it, it varies depending on where you are in your business. So like in the beginning, um, I mean, sales is, is the fundamental pipeline of every business. So I think every you know, managing director or, or sales director or even anyone that's in a very director, strong position should be conscious and aware that they are profitable and they have a pipeline and relationships need to be constantly nurtured and the product needs to be at a standard that they know delivers the value and reoccurs future business with those clients, et cetera. So I think that's a pretty important one, um, sales. Um, keeping a 
the uh, I think systemization and building assets is pretty important. So constantly I'm trying to find ways how can if I've got to train someone with something or if I've got to train someone for a new role, how can I do this better and maybe document it in a way where it doesn't enable me to do it again. So like trying to find ways to save yourself time, but also put quality into the training. So mm -hmm. training team and keeping the products well. Um, culture, I think it's pretty important. Staying on top. And it's very difficult at points, especially like me, where I'm still very much on the tools a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So for me, my focus is to eventually start stepping away and doing that as much, um, which means then the team need to be, you know, confident and I feel like they're supported as well and, and you know, passionate about their job still and happy. So I think culture is really, really important. Um, so, yeah, so just to sum up sales, um, uh, systemization, mm. uh, culture of the team. Um, and that's that's for me the focus at the minute. I think when I get more, more of a HR division or if I get more training assets made, I can afford to maybe shift my priorities to something else mm. or maybe if I get a sales team in place. But for me at the minute, that's my priority. So it sounds like you're talking mainly about efficiency. You want to create as much efficiency as possible. And then you're also touching on the idea that we're really big on is that culture attracts talent. Right? So if you yeah. can build the right culture, which you have here at F10, it brings in the right people, which are then easier to train, easier mm. to make more efficient, and therefore the whole business becomes leaner yeah. and more profitable. Yeah. I want to touch now on, on delegation. Mm. So obviously at this business, you have to do a lot of delegation. You've got you know, 61 days of filming in 30-day month. Mm. You've got to send people out on their own. Mm -hmm. What are your tips for delegation in a, in a team like this, in a creative business? Um, where people go wrong, I think a lot of the time, is people that delegate is if you're not clear, if, if something goes wrong, own that first as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, take responsibility and look at every eventuality where you could have briefed them probably better. So I think clear briefing is important. You know, we're all human. I don't get it right all the time. Um, and as long as you're correct in that respect, then it's a case of just making sure that feedback loop is there and, you know, you're following up with the client, with the other suppliers, with the, with the team and just, you know, trying to make sure that everything went well and how can we improve next time and just be constantly having your finger on the pulse with how you are behaving in the market because especially if you're a service-based industry, humans are very obviously inconsistent sometimes. You obviously want to make sure you know that everything is going smoothly because it's your product at the end of the day. So I think that feedback loop is quite important. Um, and lastly, you want to, um, you know, again, it's the well-being, I think, of the crew, make sure they're not overworked, make sure they've got appropriate rest. And, and just touch and base, but if it is quite a tricky time, that mm -hmm. like there was a period where we had three or four shooters working at once and it was like a late finish and then the next day was an early start, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is pretty challenging and difficult. And, you know, it's not a case of being tough, but it's like just making sure that they're okay and you're problem solving before it happens. So always thinking, okay, that person could be tired. What's the plan B for this in case someone falls sick or this happens? Because in the end of the day, the clients are not going to necessarily care about your internal issues or... Mm -hmm roadblocks or speed bumps so to speak um they're gonna to want to make sure the job is done so especially when you're catering to a very busy month like this i think you know those those sort of things are very important so your hot on communication is, is the communication is key i yeah. think it's it's not just production any business if you can't communicate well um you know it's, it's fine people we're human if people make mistakes or something can't be done that's absolutely fine if the person that has been assigned the task cannot communicate correctly with management or say look guys i'm drowning i can't do this right now or this has got to change and if there's time for it to be rectified and a plan B put in place, then that's a win-win for everyone. If um, if deadlines get missed or things can't be done or it's not flagged, um, then that then that basically means that the issue has been caused by that individual. So I think again, communication is important, and it doesn't just um, 
feels it from the top down, I think it goes in every direction. Absolutely, it's the, it's the inbuilt culture in the whole company, yeah. right? Yeah. I really want to move on and, and touch on something that I think will be very interesting to people listening here. You know, we see uh, Tim Penn Matthews in Dubai with these rubbing shoulders with celebrities, this big business, great brand, being flown around the world doing keynotes for, for Sony. And I really want to touch on the idea or the, the, the story of how you got here. What made you make this jump to literally come into the desert? Um, it, so, it, try to not make it too long there. Sure, of course. <laughs> um, but basically, I think what got me here was um, an opportunity to basically decide to take the leap of faith of doing something different and stopping what I thought was comfortable and good at the time. So just stepping into the unknown. And that, that situation presented itself when I was quite frequently um, filming with one particular client um, that I met my business partner Rajiv with, who was also kind of co-handling it. And just because our relationship and we got on so well, an opportunity presented itself. Him presented to Rajiv a few years later and said, "Look, I want to move to Dubai and expand my production house from India to Dubai. Do you want to do it with me?" And then I was given that that kind of question: Do I stop what I'm doing in the UK and and pivot to Dubai? And I think that's kind of that was kind of the big turning point. But how I got to that was was very interesting. I don't know if we have time for yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm okay, so <laughs> we basically basically I didn't study filmmaking. It's um a quite an important aspect. I learned to shoot when I was young. Um, documenting kiteboarding actually so I, I used to the things that you do on water but on mm. land so I, I basically used to film myself and my my little kiting team doing tricks and stuff in our local field in Trowbridge in, in Wiltshire and um, I really I was in this from about the age of 15 to about 18 um, back in 2005 2008 and uh, not at the time not many people were doing content and posting online and because I did do that even though the videos were atrocious um, and, and I was using like a little Fujifilm point and shoot nice. camera. It wasn't anything like this, like you see today. Um, because I was prolific with that content and I didn't really, I, I didn't have a strategy. I was just posting. I was thinking that people want to see this hopefully. And I really enjoy editing and, and doing this. I kind of self-taught myself and I got sponsored within a couple of months. So I knew straight away that by documenting and by putting out there, by being visible, more opportunities come. Um, strangely, I did when I got to a college stage in my life, deviate away from kiteboarding. Uh, and kiting generally and I went into motorsport I actually studied to be an engineer mm. and um, I, I really enjoyed the course and I after the after the after going to college I went to a few motorsport related roles but I found myself not enjoying it anymore I don't know if anyone's been in that situation where you study something you go into the industry and you're like this really isn't what I was expecting and I didn't it was turning my passion into something that I didn't like anymore um, so I ended up joining a uh, uh, basically a circuit in a really strange way. I was, I was, I just moved back from Birmingham. I was traveling around the UK a little bit and um, I was working at Tesco's trying to figure out what I do with my life when I packed all this motorsport thing in. And I thought, I've got an engineering degree. I don't know what to do. I was planning to go, actually go into the army. Um, and uh, I was in my lunch break at Tesco's and I had Castle King Circuit where I studied motorsport engineering call me up and say, we've got a media position. It's really new. We've got an event on this weekend. We kind of need to know today if you're interested. Um, and it was one of those days where I thought, well, this is quite cool, but I am kind of set on going into the army. I'd like to go into Remy like my father did. I was prone conning it up and I was calling people around trying to get some advice. And it was one of those days where you call everyone and no one picks up their phone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I basically ended up uh, flipping a coin on it and going to Coombe. So there's no, I, I, that's not really any advice I'd recommend, but I ended up doing that because I couldn't decide. And um, I ended up just, you know, saying to them when I was in the job, because they wanted to film the events, 
can you organize a crew? And I volunteered to say, well, look, can I maybe do it myself? You'll save on the funds and we can just hire the equipment. And after like two, three years of just learning to document events for the circuit that I was employed by, um, my kiting network got back in touch and I met Peter Farrow, my business partner in the UK, and he decided to invest in me and himself and create a, a business, a production business covering motorsport. And thanks to my network from Castle Coombe, I got to meet some clients and that's how I met this Indian billionaire client where I met Rajiv. So everything stems from, apart from the coin toss, a, a network uh, where if you put time and energy into relationships, opportunities present themselves to you. And I'm not saying everything that I've decided in my career has been a smart move, but one thing that I am sure is by saying yes more to things and delivering value more, more opportunities present yourself, present themselves to you. Mm. And it's that where you can almost trace back to something as simple as a coin toss. And it seems like, well, that just seems like one straight road, but it is like a tree branch. It is some, you're making decisions all the time, whether you do something this day or this day, or you do this action. And ultimately that's a result of where you are today. So I very much believe in you are a res the result of your actions. I believe in fate to a point, but you're here because of the actions and the, and the drive and the determination that you put into into that basically. Absolutely. And you so from that story, that was a brilliant story. There's Thank you. there's three areas that you were pulled by, right? So there was the, the filming, mm -hmm. the motorsport, yep. and then the army as well. Yeah. So you did you, you said it was a coin toss, you were ringing people. But which area of that really pulled you the most? Was it always um, filmography, videography? Or was oh. there something in the back of your mind was saying I really would like to do the army, you know, how did you how did you deep down undercover what you should actually do? I think it, what, I, what I realized is that I wanted to do the army because I thought that's what would be the next logical step because I didn't want to stay in motorsport. But I'm glad that I got the Castle Coombe job because the coin landed on it. But in hindsight, I'm glad I went to that direction because at the time I didn't know, but it did entwine my original passion of documenting mm. with a camera when I was kiteboarding. Now, although the kiting wasn't what I was doing at Castle Coombe, it was motorsport, the medium and what I was doing in terms of the learning to film edit and put that content online was it was like rekindling uh a, not a talent more like a, a a drive or an interest when i was younger um because i knew straight away i didn't want to get into motorsport again i didn't want to do that the circuit was a bit different to working in like in a race team or building supercars which is what i was doing before the circuit this was a media related role so the two and two kind of accidentally came together and i'm aware that that's the luck part for me i was lucky to discover and figure out what I wanted to do quite early on. But I wouldn't have figured that out without at least sampling mm. and trying different things. So, you know, I know you've not asked this question, but if someone was to say to me, what advice would you get to um, figure out what you want to do? It would be a case of just tasting as many different things as possible and then just evaluating what you enjoy. And I think when you enjoy something, you're very prepared to work full pelt into growing in that discipline and that skill set and that industry. And good things will only happen if you put time and energy into something. Wherever you focus your energy, you grow in that thing. Sure, exactly. It's uh, inevitable, isn't it? If you keep mm. working on it, making relationships, building up on it, it will, it will happen. Mm. So I want to build on that story now because it's really interesting. So you've got uh, you know, an early 20-year-old uh, Brit from the southwest of England. You know it very well. You land in Dubai. You've got experience. You've yep. definitely got passion. You've definitely got drive. What do you do? I did everything wrong. Okay. I um, <laughs> I, I mean, again, I'm piecing back the fact that I got to Dubai due to my relationship building, but yeah. it wasn't like a con it was like a subconscious action that was giving me opportunity, but I wasn't realizing that's what I needed to do here. I moved here originally under the premise that we would be doing work with schools and working in the military. And I did have support from Mr. Peter Rajiv and another business partner at the time. Um, and 
when I got here, I knew how to make content. I already created, you know, content for the Renault World Series. I did lots of rallying, drag, drag racing, drifting. I'd worked for circuits all around Europe, worked for Ferrari, um, you know, did loads of things. And so I, it's not like I was not skilled enough, but I didn't have a network. And when I landed here, it took me, I think the best part of one to three years to really figure that out. My first year, I did 30,000 dirhams and I spent like 10, like 10 times that on mm. just living here. Uh, and then the second year we did 130,000 dirhams, which again, we like didn't even break even of. And then the third year we did 1.3 million. So the compound growth of just trying, just investing in myself and then investing in the network, it did take me one to three years to figure that out. So I didn't hit the ground running in Dubai. I really struggled. Mm. And, and there were many points where me and my business partner were like, this isn't working when things are not going right here. And it was completely all the way down, always down to sales, the pipeline, the money that, that helps you grow. Mm. Um, you know, it was a hard lesson to learn. Um, and the, the turning point for me was really just understanding and, and researching and, and pouring time and energy into education that helped benefits this, not anything else. Mm. But I landed as a cameraman, but then grew to be a business, businessman over the three years, mm. basically. So I didn't know how to run a business. Okay, so how did you get to that? That was, that was from you know, self-development, reading, shaking hands. And what else could you put into that to build yourself into this uh, you know, MD businessman that you are now? Failure, a lot of failure. There you go. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, a lot of it is down to trial and error. It's a slow way to learn. And a lot of people sadly learn that way. Um, but there's so much information available online and people are more willing to help when you ask for them. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I owe my success to a, a variety of not only people internally, but externally as well. I got lots of advice, built a lot of good network. And I think by asking a lot and, um, you know, just saying I need help or I need guidance here, you'd be surprised how decent the world actually is and how people are willing to go the extra mile just to make sure that you're okay. And that it's, it's all relationships. It really is. It's not relationships are not just there to help you make money, but support you as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would be nowhere without the people that are, are around me and, and the steps that I made to build rapport and create value for those people. Mm. So yeah. a lot of relationships you've made over the over the time, right? Yeah. So what I'm really interested in, you know, from from my business and um, from being here as well, is the idea that your environment dictates your performance. Hmm. So we're talking there about a really hard first three years in your early twenties when you first moved to Dubai. Do you think you could have done the exact same thing somewhere else? Do you think Dubai is a special place for it to have happened? Um, how do you think the environment here, before we talk about your business environment, has affected you and the way you do business? Dubai, um, Dubai is a, it's a fantastic country and I owe a lot to where we are again due to the nature of how this country operates. It's, um, it's a country that I think people shouldn't assume that you can just go far in just by being here. Um, Dubai, I feel, sometimes can be quite fierce if you don't have a good product and you, you are not a, like necessarily a nice person or you don't do things the correct way, it will spit you out um, because it's a very small community and network here. I think it forces to filter the good from the bad, which I think is great. And I don't think many people are bad, but what I mean by good and the bad is meaning like if people decide not to, you know, work ethically or employ correctly or build rapport correctly or communicate correctly or, you know, handle finances correctly, I think that these are the things that you'll struggle with. Um, so if you can do those things correctly, I think Dubai really is a fantastic opportunity for you because in summary, you're kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond mm. because it's so new. It's not Dubai's fault. It's just, you've got to remember, you go back 30 years ago, um, half this country wasn't here. Like there was no skyscrapers. I mean, I've got friends that have been here 15, 20 plus years. I don't even remember the marina being present. 
Um, I moved here when the marina was present, but it was quite new. Um, so even me, I've seen a lot of, gro- lot of growth in 10 years. And I'm, I'm sure, I know you recently moved here, you'll see a lot of growth, depending on how many years you're here as well. So it is constantly evolving. Um, and it's almost like you're, it's like you're in the gold rush age, but in Dubai, in the Middle East, you're, you're seeing this futuristic city come out of the desert, out of the sand. Um, it's being um, built and, and, you know, supported by not just the locals, but, you know, a, a global influence. I mean, there are so many walks of life here. Um, and what I think Dubai has done really well for us is that it's given us the opportunity because we're very passionate in doing the right thing, live on a high quality product, and we're very network relationship driven. People will always be, you know, th- thinking of you, keeping you front of mind, referring your business. And, um, you know, without being too strategic with it, I think because the competition is less, you are able to grow, I think, easier. Um, there's no way I would have been able to handle probably a client like Will Smith by staying in England, I don't think. Um, it would have taken me probably twice or three times the years to build up the credibility and the social proof in the country where there are a lot of amazingly talented people in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying there isn't talented people here in Dubai, but I just think that the talent pool is just smaller just mm-hmm. due to the nature of how long the country's been, you know, Founded, you know, so I think that I think it's just the size of it, which I think really is mm. a big factor. I think we're going to have to divert there and talk about Will Smith. You're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to, have to tell the story of, of the Will Smith uh, shoot. Okay. Well, do you want to know? There's a couple. Of, there's been a shoot, few shoots with him. Let's go. Well, let's go for the bucket list. Bucket list. The bucket list was quite cool. So that was our first proper job. So um, I the, the, that relationship um, came to fruition by uh, my business partner Rajiv having very strong connections from his filmmaking days in uh, in LA in the US um, and uh, again network keeping touch with these people which Rajiv was not doing for a, a motive to make money but just because he's a friendly guy and I've learned a lot of my networking from him um, he uh, took the time and energy to ke- keep front of mind with some people and someone just came to him due to an old favor uh, it's a longer story but basically someone that Rajiv used to work with um, basically said I have this project where we're going to the Middle East we know you and we trust you and we don't know many people in the country so we need to lean on someone that's reliable and this project landed in our lap and we over delivered and when you over deliver people come back um and obviously our dealings are more so with his team and his production house westbrook and his producers which we all all love and think very highly of and you know will is uh, a great person i mean it's a shame you don't ever get to spend much time with him sure but he's uh just how how you imagine him to be i think he's a he's a really like really down to earth you know really friendly guy shakes everyone's hand on set He's not, uh, he's not in any way a diva. He's like, he's so easygoing. Um, obviously he has his standards. I think, um, like anyone who's done as much filmmaking as him have done. Um, and yeah, just a pleasure to work with. And, and it's been an amazing opportunity to work with him so frequently. So yeah, that's fantastic. Been, and then quite good. that's what you can find that on, on his YouTube channel. That Yeah. Is. So, I mean, face the bucket list was done by Facebook watch. So if you just type in Will Smith's bucket list challenge, you, we did three of the six episodes we helped produce. So, did the Bollywood one, the skydiving one, and the Abu Dhabi Formula One race car one. So I did those three episodes. Perfect. Check them out. So I want to jump back now into the idea of your environment dictating your performance. Mm-hmm. So you've spoken about Dubai as a city, but what about you as someone who is running this corp, this, this business here? How do you like to work? How do you set up your office and your style um, so that it can benefit you? Do you need to be in a clean space? Do you like clutter? Can you work with clutter? Loud noises? How do you like to set up your environment to benefit you? Depends what you're doing in the role. I think if you're um, if you're looking from a production like cameraman perspective, I think like a clean, tidy kit room, and you religiously are militant with how you put things away and keep things clean, like make your bed sort of mentality. Mm. 
that's crucial. So I think that's that's a really important environment, like habit or trait to install. I think with editing um, or doing anything that involves post production, it should be very, you know, it's very insular and introverted. You need to be closed off from distractions. Um, you know, really good sound system, good headphones. You know, very clean, crisp monitors. You know, environment that is quite inspiring, comfortable, mm. um, because sometimes production can be quite quite stressful. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think most importantly, it needs to be somewhat fun and, and transparent, and and you, you don't want to separate, I think, people too much from from different sections of production because it's all very much linked and entwined. So yeah, it's a very that's a very hard question to answer, Absolutely. but I, I think that's kind of what it's I would only say. the hard questions here. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. in your office, for example, how do you like to work? Do you like it to be um, in that introverted way when you're doing business decisions and business meetings? How do you like to operate? Um, well, I. I, I do quite well where I'm alone and without mm. distractions, but at the same time, I thrive being in the office when everyone else is working because mm. you get this and you feel that you bounce off this energy with the team. Um, it's difficult because like we all do well when we get ourselves into a flow state and flow state is when you're free from distractions. You're able to focus on one task until, until what's the focus, focus on one course until successful focus. So that's uh, uh, something I like to do, but um, productions like life, you get interruptions, you have emergencies, things fall in your lap. And I think having a, a space where you are in touch with everyone at a moment's glance, or if you want to quickly voice something, you can. I think that's really, really important. But having that ability to also retract away, go insular and focus on something until you get it done, if it's really important, I think is key as well. So the ability to separate if you want, but ultimately work together as a, in, un, in unison. Mm. We talk a lot, you know, um, off camera about the idea that um, motivation comes and goes and discipline is something we're really after, right? So you've mm. got your purpose and your meaning and your drive. Um, and we're trying to maintain the trajectory forward through discipline, not motivation, because that comes and goes, like I say. So what drives you forward? What, how do you find the drive towards your purpose as a business owner? My drive, I would say... One of the most motivating, I think, aspects for me is I dread the thought of, and this is not undermining, and I mean this in the nicest way, anyone that works back at home in the UK, but not doing something I'm fully passionate about. Um, I think there's nothing worse than, than spending your time working in a role that you feel isn't working towards a bigger picture or a bigger goal or a bigger impact. And it doesn't mean that everyone has that luxury. Some people don't know what they want to be doing with their, their trade or their life. And some people are in circumstances or countries or situations where the, the, the job fronts are limited. But I think we are in a moment in, in just human history where we are able to be a little bit more selfish with what direction we go down. Um, I learned this when I was filming at, a, at the Mumbai Marathon a few mm. years ago. We, um, we were covering some stories, um, uh, some underprivileged stories uh, and seeing a lot of people. It's the first time I went to India, actually, and I saw, saw how basically not a third world country, but how some very poor people lived. Um, and that really gave me some huge insight to realize how lucky we were and how um, much of a safety blanket we have being in England and knowing that we have a family behind us. We have an NHS. We have, you know, probably some family savings. If something went completely wrong, I could pick up the phone and call a few people. We have technology available to us. And, and having that safety net, I feel we sometimes we forget that. And so it's more of a reason to go out and completely 
dive into just doing anything you wanted and trying it. I think if you don't, you know, if you're unhappy in any aspect of your life, try and do what you can to change it, even if it means immense sacrifice, because the latter is of regretting your life later on in, in life is, is worse than the pain of potentially losing that nice car you're driving right now or that bigger home or or having to stay put in your comfortable lifestyle in the UK. So for me, I think that, that risk versus reward ratio mm. is is pretty important. And that 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 risk of doing something wrong and then waking up later in life thinking, God, I really mucked up and I did 30 years worth of work with a job that I don't enjoy, I think that's that's a pretty big drive for me. Mm. Um, also, I, I want to be, you know, family's quite important to me. I want to grow a big family one day and, and not be chained to a desk nine to five. So that's pretty important, I think. I mean, you've got to have some selfish, you know, financial goals. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. Mon money is not a, a bad thing to talk about. It's some people find it quite uncomfortable, but it gives you choices. And mm -hmm. I think if you work hard and you you're passionate about what you do, you're bound to bound to do well and succeed. And and only when when you've got success and you become a man of value in a mm -hmm. trade that you love and you're good at, and you get the money to reflect that, you're able to really um, relax in later life. And that's and, and and enjoy the process of getting to that point as well. It's not just about okay, now I can relax because we all know the the Timothy Ferris four hour work week, you know, yes. getting to the end of your retirement and maybe not even making it, you know. So, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. And it, it's it's great to hear. And it actually reminded me of a James Clear quote that I read on his I don't know if you have his his newsletter on a Thursday. It's very clever. It's yeah. got just three points. Okay. Got three quotes. And one of them last week was some things are a job, others are a craft. The primary dis difference is not the task, but the enthusiasm and curiosity put into the task. Mm. I think there, you know, what you're talking about is that you, from the origin story you've just told, you had these three different directions you could have gone in through your mm. passions and your, you know, your beliefs. You've managed to turn those into, um, you know, those hobbies or one of the hobbies into a career. You've moved and taken the step. You found the drive to do that and come to a country where you think it would work better, which it clearly has. Mm -hmm. And now, yes, you have your financial goals. And we often say that we shouldn't measure our success through our finances. But actually, it's one of the factors that you put into it because the other ones are, are bigger than you, aren't they? They're, mm. they're your family, they're your actual purpose, the meaning and the impact you could have on others in the world. Mm. And you can see that through your work, right? It's, mm. it's a high quality of work because you want to over, um, over deliver, which you've, you've stated from the start of this chat. Mm. You always want to give more value than you, you, you take. Yeah, absolutely. It's all down to value. I mean, that's how you become, you're, you're naturally become quite successful as an entrepreneur or business owner if you really focus on making sure the value is there with your mm. clients. Um, if it's all about if you over deliver all the time and you find a way to make that customer experience amazing, um, the rest is kind of like easy. Mm. Yeah. So what recommended recommendations would you give for, you know, you, you go around the world and you do these Sony ambassador keynotes. Yeah. What is something that someone could take now as someone starting a creative agency? What is some advice you could give them from what you've been through in your experience? On the spot there. <laughs> Um, so someone who's maybe creating an agency with a team or yeah, or, or they're trying to turn their, their hobby into a business. I would say, um, and I do say this in my Sony talks, even though I'm supposed to be promoting Sony equipment and, and obviously I'm a big advocate for Sony. I've been shooting it for years and it's been a big part of my journey of why we have done so well. But I think you invest with yourself first. Don't be blindsided with equipment and features and fancy gadgets. I think poor energy and time into learning how to sell correctly, how to sell correctly, how to deliver value in your, and enhance your customer experience. Um, 
and learn how to you know manage and and grow a team with you to do this because which ironically is all stuff that you can consume by reading and audible books and just mm. and rather than getting to the point where you're busier and you don't have maybe a fully functional team or you have too much kit and all the gear and no idea like i think a lot of people get blindsided by you need to have all this to be successful and all this to do this job when really um you know we landed with a laptop and a small small camera and it's not a we didn't have all this equipment to start mm. with you, you 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 build the assets as you grow sort of thing um, which again is something what what Daniel Priestley always said. So um, yeah, I think it's just my best advice would be um, l- understand your trade very very well, learn how to over deliver, enhance the customer experience, um, educate in this before you fire this. It's investment, isn't it? Invest yep. in yourself. Invest in yep. yourself first. I want to ask you some quick thoughts. Yeah, straight away I'm going to go in with a book recommendation. I know you're well read. So what's a, a recommendation for a book we can have? Um, Sean Whalen, How to Make uh, SHIT Happen. Nice. <laughs> I, won't, I don't know if I can throw it in the podcast. I've just spelled it out. Um, but I think that's a great book. I'm a big fan of that. Um, I love the uh, uh, Oversubscribed and you know, Entrepreneur Revolution with Daniel Priestley. I think Daniel, anything Daniel Priestley writes is amazing. Um, my, my biggest, I think the biggest book that made me open my eyes was actually 24 Assets, mm. um, which is a book I think Daniel recommends that you only... Uh, read once you've read the others, but I yeah. read it first. Mm. But it made me realize, wow, this is um, what a business needs in order to. Th- there are so many deficiencies businesses have, and I think it, that was for me a perspective. It helped me understand business in a in a different pillar sense. These are the pillars that prop up a business, and these are the pillars that you're strong in versus not. And by giving me that clarity, it helped me realize and understand where my focus should go. So I think Twenty Four Assets is my all time book, but I think Entrepreneur Evolution. How to make sure happen with Sean Whelan. Um, oversubscribed and 24 assets. Sorry, I'll give you four. No, brilliant. We'll take, them all. we'll take them all. <laughs> the next one I want to ask you is how often do you learn something new? You know, it's incredibly important for the human mind to keep developing and keep challenging it, itself or ourselves. So how often do you go and learn something new? It could be a sport, it could be even a new camera. How often do you try, you know, outgoingly try something new? Well, th- thanks to my Sony partnership, I'm able to learn something new with Kit all the time. And because I have to deliver keynotes and do tutorials and produce content on it that helps me understand it because when you teach you have to really understand something so that's from a skill set point of view um, I learn a lot from my team all the time they I love the fact that sometimes my team call me out and say we should do it this way or or have you tried that or this so I think that's great or you can learn from your immediate circle um, they always say listen twice more than you speak because you know well I don't know where that's from that quote but I mean I love that um, and um, yeah I think I mean consume Try to find pockets in your day where you can consume content from others, Audible, um, you know, read books. Like when I drive in the car, I'm always listening to Audible. When I'm walking in the morning, I'm listening to mm. Audible. And when I'm walking on the treadmill, I'm, I'm listening to Audible. So that sort of stuff. Try and find ways to efficiently learn throughout mm. your day. And, um, and yeah, I guess, I guess if, you, if you're passionate about something, um, you're, you'll spend your spare time also doing it or reading up on things mm. and, and observing others. Um, you know, so you can only... A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And I think the more people that, you know, do that and exchange and you receive as well as exchange, I think they're great. So. It's brilliant. I can actually answer that for you as well. How often do you learn something new? I know that you're a very good chef. So you're constantly challenging yourself in the kitchen to, to yeah, new like things it. and learning new recipes and stuff. So, so it's very obvious that you're pushing yourself to learn all the time. Thank you. I want to ask you, how often do you change or adapt your environment to suit your needs? How often do you audit, you know, your home or your office and change it? 
to benefit what's happening in your life at that current moment? I've, I've done a lot of um, recent home improvements to increase my inspiration and motivation to work at home. Um, so I've, I've, my office definitely is lacking, I feel. I feel there's a lot of room to, to grow with the office. And, and I blame that partly down to the fact that obviously we're still um, only up until recently recovering from COVID. Um, and obviously the investment of pouring that into the environment probably was not given a priority over other things. Mm. Whether that was correct or not, I'm not sure. Um, but it was something that I deemed worth pinning till now. But I mean, it's the compound curve. I think, you know, if you can weather the tough period and you can invest in the correct things, including your environment, when you feel you're able to, I think that's the, the, the environment part is certainly at the pinnacle of the compound curve. Um, if your environment is better, people are more motivated. If your environment is better, you get more work done. You're happy to stay there longer. And the more time and energy and focus you put into the work that you do, and if the environment can help support that, then, then it's, you know, it's only going to give you more, you know, more fruits. So to speak. agree, completely agree. This one might put you on the spot, mm. but I want to like to ask you for a quote that inspires you. Some people have a bank of quotes they think about. Do you have a quote? I do. Go on. Um, never remove the thrills of living for the securities of existence. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, because, you know, like I said, being uh, fortunate enough to be born in England with a, you know, supportive mother and, um, you know, a strong friend network, you know, I could be very comfortable in the UK, I could have a nice job and stuff, but it, it wouldn't thrill or be in line with what I wanted to achieve. And by not risk, by risking that comfort and doing something a little bit more bolder, you are adverse and open mm. to receiving more. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's another one. There you go. That's a great one. Oh, yeah. I really like that there, one as yeah. well. Those are the quick ones out the way. What have you got coming up? What are your next projects on the, on the horizon? I know it's very close to Christmas, but yeah. in Dubai, nothing really slows down. So what's going on? So we've got something this weekend for Mitsubishi. We do these product walk-arounds. They're like glossy car brochures, but not in print form, but in video. <laughs> so we're doing that. Um, we have got a Burj Khalifa projection tomorrow night. Um, the night after that, we've got the Middle East PR Awards at the Atlantis Hotel. Um, we've got a drifting event on Sunday, and um, we might be doing the, the launch commercial film for Corvette with the new Z06, which is the awesome new supercar that Corvette made, which we'll be shooting um, probably on my birthday, which is on the 28th this month. So oh, don't forget probably, that one. Yeah, I won't forget that one. So I'll probably be shooting actually on my birthday because of permit time to get permits and things and shut roads down Wow! because it takes a while to get the police involved and shut all those things down. So, sure. yeah. so, so yeah, that's uh, what's coming up. That's so you're not yeah. slowing down for, for the end of the year? No, I was hoping to have a quiet Christmas, but I mean, you know, touch wood, we're, we're busy and in demand and you've, you've got to take the work when you get it. And, and, certain, and this is all good kind of work. I mean, that's a very big part to this as well. Like as you get bigger, you should also be aware of what work is good and what you enjoy and do more of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, that leads really, really nicely actually onto one of the final questions we have, which we've asked everyone so far. If you had a full free day, how would you spend it? Full free day, full free day. Is this for selfish, personal, relaxing? Yeah, or this just, is you, this is you. How would I spend it? Full free day. Doesn't come around very often. Well, I would definitely wake up and, and train, um, you know, healthy body, healthy mind and all that. Um, a big breakfast with uh, my partner, Sabrina. That would be, that'd be nice. Take the dog for a walk, do something with the dog. Um, see friends, um, cook, love cooking, um, get a bit of sun, make sure I, hopefully the temperature's nice that day and we're in the pool and I'm winding and, um, yeah, like something maybe purposeful as well linked to my own brand or the company, just, you know, some interesting discussions around a project or something that's in, like near the end of completion so you can watch it and enjoy. I, I very much like it when a project comes to the very final stages and, and having that really launched and released and that happens quite frequently because we do so many projects. So 
even a little work thing is always good. So yeah, that's an ideal day for me. I don't I don't want for much. It's just very much just like around friends, good people. Exactly. And just making sure that everything is good in, in business and stuff. Yeah. The last question I've got from you or for you is do you have an ask for the audience? So do you have a something we can we can reflect on, something we can think about, a question? Ask the audience. Um a bit of advice, like what mm -hmm. has okay, so I think ask the audience, I think it would be absolutely fantastic if you are an entrepreneur watching this and um, you are interested or maybe sometimes a bit like reluctant to start, but like, like the idea of becoming better with content. Um, I would ask that everyone uh, do like what Freddie's doing and uh, practice just being in front of the camera, learning to articulate your pitch very well, produce content. And it seems strange at first. And I know you're opening yourself up to feedback and, and people thinking things about you. But when you do that, and you become more, you know, visible and, and you put yourself out there, um, great things only happen. So I would say anyone watching this, my ask would be to get in front of the camera and get used to becoming that face to your brand. It's super important. And, uh, you know, any company worth its weight in gold will have a face to that brand. So if you've got weights and you've got a good brand, get in front of the camera. That's my there you go. Great bit of advice. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And uh, all the best for 2023. Thank you very much. See you guys.